You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nonsense, y'all! It is another doggone episode of Nonsense. That's right, doggone, I said. You know, <laughs> when I was in the military, uh, drill instructors were starting to uh, be forced to not swear at soldiers. They're trying to make it less aggressive, though it, it was still pretty damn aggressive. Um, but they weren't swearing, so that, I guess, makes it less aggressive. Uh, and so they said doggone a lot. And so I picked that up. And yes, it has been a very long time ago. But I still, to this day, with my children, say doggone. <laughs> I just thought, you know, weird. All right, well, anyway, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is September. I haven't updated this yet. <laughs> 23rd, and I have a great show for this week. First of all, let me mention, uh, top of the show here, Creator Magic episode is coming up very soon. I mean, let's talk schema, the world here, scheme of things, uh, time, dimensionality, which is actually going to make sense in just a second. It's really pretty damn soon. So, send me your questions. If you want to know any questions about Greater Magic that we didn't cover in last year's episode, which is quite a bit, if I might say so myself, Send them to me, info at 9centspodcast.com. You can also reach out to me through Twitter, through MySpace, yeah, anyone uses that, uh, Facebook, Google+, SatanNet, wherever you want to reach out to me, do so. Even RFS, if you reply to one of the, uh, you know, send a comment to any of the episodes, I get an email alert for it, readafreesatan.com, let me know any questions you have about Greater Magic. I'm putting together an amazing episode. It's all scheduled, it's all planned, and it's happening relatively soon. So I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of satanic history in greater magic history. Send me your questions. We're going to talk about whatever you want us to talk about. And if you don't send me any questions, that's cool. You can still enjoy the show, and I will make up my own questions. But... I want you to be a part of it, and I'm pretty sure you want to be a part of it. So, info at 9centspodcast.com. Alright, so I have an amazing show for you this week, but before I go into that, uh, last week I revealed Satanists on Satanic Cinema. It's a 9 Cents Presents project. It is uh, something that is going to be out very soon. I say that in a matter of like a week, maybe two weeks it is very soon. I'm editing the first episode right now. It's going to be available at iTunes, uh, Amazon MP3, Google Play. It's going to be available anywhere you want it. You could even buy it on Facebook if you're on Facebook. So look for that. There's a Facebook page made for it. There's a Google Plus page made for it. I'll be posting any updates on both 9 Cents podcast uh, avenues with all my social networking connections there. And... Um, uh, 
Satanists on SatanicCinema.com website. So, and obviously on this podcast. So, uh, look for it. The first episode is going to be really funny, really entertaining. I have a couple of really amazing gentlemen joining me for it. So, look forward to that in the coming week. Two weeks, maybe. <laughs> Depends on how busy I am. But, so I was, I was set to record the second episode today. And this is what I wanted to speak to, is, is the, the idea that technology allows us to do some really, really amazing things. If you live in Taiwan and you want to speak to someone in, um, let's say, Brazil, well, you can do that any time of the day with the internet. I mean, just technology itself has allowed us to exist as human beings as we recognize ourselves now. It wasn't too long ago that we were just trying to start a fire and eating berries to survive. So when you stop and think about it, it's pretty damn amazing. And yet with as amazing as it is, you don't need to be connected to anything, but through satellites, through radio signals, through Wi-Fi, you are connected to the world. Still, sometimes technology prevents you from doing that which you desire. And this latest recording of Satanists on Satanic Cinema is proof and fucking point. This drives me mad. So we had it all scheduled, it was all set up, and because of the technology of microphones, uh, just one of the microphones wasn't quite on par to the quality that I want to provide in this project, we had to postpone. Ugh! I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I'm planning on putting out these episodes every two months, so everyone gets a full experience with the movie that we're featuring, and with the commentary that we're providing, and the satanic uh, references and clarifications, if applicable, in each of these episodes. These little riff tracks are a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, I want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to really experience them before I put out another one, which is why I'm not doing, like, a weekly or a monthly thing every two months. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I want you guys to be, you know, uh, enjoying it. So, it stopped me today, but that's not going to stop the cycle so long as we meet the deadline that we <laughs> that we made. And here's the other thing. I reach out to individuals that uh, I think are going to be of value that I think you will find value in. Uh, people you want to hear from. People that you may have heard about or heard of uh, in, in this show's long history. I'm going to bring them to you in a much more organic and much more private way through this. And so schedules tend to be an issue, not just technology. So, you know, I'm sort of fighting with a couple different issues, but I'm still going to be uh, meeting the schedule that I outlined. And I have a lot of, lot of great, great people lined up. So I'm, I'm really excited for this, and I cannot wait to give you some more information on it, but it is coming. But, you know, I just wanted to touch on the whole technology issues. I mean, it's amazing what we can do, and yet it still holds us back sometimes. <laughs> ah! And this last weekend, it actually was last night, uh, my nephew and niece went up to um, uh, the Hot Springs in Provo Canyon. And it's essentially 40-minute hike up-ish. And what we did is we set up camp. We, we headed up there when night was falling, set up camp. And I had reminded myself, don't forget to bring a flashlight. It is incredibly important because we're going up so late 
that we have some way of seeing the actual trail that we're walking on. I mean, this is in the middle of a canyon, meaning in the middle of a mountain with trees all around. So even if there's a full moon, that light that the moon is providing, being reflected from the sun, is diffused through all of the trees. So it's still hard as hell to see anything. Really challenging. So you have to have some form of illumination. Now, this is the you know, detriment of all mankind. Our eyes suck. All of our senses, actually, in, in the scheme of things, suck. Which is why it's amazing to me, as Neil deGrasse Tyson points out very eloquently, uh, how people say we're so special when we're actually hindered quite a bit compared to the other creatures on this planet. Uh, anyway, so... I brought the flashlight, and I was really excited. We set up the tent. Um, we decided not to start a fire until we came back down. I brought up some of my homebrew, which was amazing, this Irish stout, which is so delicious. And I pulled the flashlight out and turned it on, and it wouldn't turn on. And so I'm clicking it, and I remember that at one point I was trying to tell myself, okay, finish what you're doing now, but you must put new batteries in the light, <laughs> in the flashlight. And I didn't do it! <gasps> Once again, technology. Okay, so we have no light. <laughs> so we were stumbling up this mountain to get to these hot springs with absolutely no light. I mean, we're not going to let one little thing like being able to see stop us from enjoying an amazing night on the equinox, night of the fall equinox. Um, stop us from enjoying the stars and the sky and the homebrew in the hot springs. I mean, there's nothing better. So we did, actually. It took us a little longer than we anticipated, but we walked our way up that darkened <laughs> path. And it's amazing because, I mean, as flawed as our vision is, as, as, as narrow of a field of vision as we have, you, you're still able to see quite a bit in near pure darkness. And one thing that I, I, I sort of found myself employing that I was reminded of when I was in the military, uh, a, a soldier that I was with told me that, you know, the secret to seeing anything in the dark is to not look at that thing and look at everything around that thing. Constantly move your eye over and around what it is you want to focus on. And because it's so dark, your eye can't focus on one thing, but your vision will adjust and allow you to see the the thing that you're not looking at in darkness. It doesn't make any sense when you say it, but when you employ it, it actually works. And it's an amazing an amazing tool that I used throughout my career in the military, and I used last night to get up this damn mountain. Uh, okay, so we get up to the hot springs, and we slide in, and there's some amazingly beautiful women, and some pretty gross ones, and some built-in, you know, I guess what would be attractive men to women, and some not-so-attractive men and we slide in because it was actually a lot busier than we anticipated. It's certainly this late in the season. Uh, we slide into the hot tub and it, hot tub, the, the hot springs, and it is really fucking hot. I mean, really hot. Uh, we're sitting there enjoying our beer, and it ended up that we were in one of the hottest pools, so no one else could stand being in there very long. And so we were literally like the only ones in there for the entirety of the time, just staring up at the amazing sky. Uh, really being struck by the awe of of the universe as it is uh, able to be viewed from our vantage point, um, which, again, is, is very minuscule, but compared to being in the city where I live, 
it's amazing, amazing experience. Um, and then <laughs> trying to get back down that trail after we'd had a couple homebrews <laughs> in the pure dark was uh, an interesting experience. <laughs> but we did it. We were alive and we made a fire and it ended up being a really fantastic night. Uh, the Equinox was enjoyed in full foresight. I had a great time. And I you know, just thank you to my uh, niece and nephew for, for joining us. It was a lot of fun. All right. So let's talk about the show, shall we? In The Devil's Advocate, I have been given, uh, I, I wouldn't say an article, a topic by a listener. And uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you very much. I appreciate you listening. And I'm very glad to talk about this, though it was something that I had to read into a little bit. Uh, he, he gave me two sources um, about it. And th- the topic title here, I guess, would be Satanism and Other Dimensions, how Satanists perceive the, the possibility or the implications of other dimensions. And the links that he sent specifically were in relation to spirituality. So, so uh, the spirit realm or, or ghosts or, or a higher um, essence of, of being like like God or, or something like that. So I'm going to speak to that from a satanic perspective. And, and again, I don't care what topics you want me to speak to. I will do it, but I will always do it through my lens. And that is a third side perspective, Satanist-centric worldview. Um, so I may not address this the way you want me to, or I may not touch on the the elements that you found uh, striking. What I'm going to do is try to see what you sent me through my lens and interpret it that way. So one size does not fit all here, but you know this is uh, this is my show, so I'm going to do it that way. An infernal informant, Houston Police Department officer shoots and kills an amputee in a wheelchair, and Obama defends Romney attacks on U.S. Israel relations, and. In the Creature Feature segment, I actually have it mislabeled here. I almost stumbled over that. The Snail Factory. I sat down with Ari Bach. He's been on the show a couple times. I love this guy. He's a great artist. He's a very funny human being. We're going to be talking about his comic series. And I'm not a big comic guy. The Snail Factory. I love this. And we're going to give you an amazing interview about it. So look for it later in the show. Probably the second half or thereabout. Let's go ahead and dive into The Devil's Advocate. I will stop ranting about the show itself right now. You say why? I say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. 
I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, let's talk about Satanism and other dimensions. Uh, really wrapped around the framework of these two articles. The first one was The Fourth Dimension and NDEs by Jody A. Long, J.D., and Another World by A.T. Schofield, M.D. So, there was no real framework provided on how I should talk about this topic. And so, I'm going to start uh, initially by sort of stating my own personal views on the matter. And this is actually going to really be relatable to, to all Satanists out there because it's the way we all see things, I would like to think. And that's the, and, and I have to say, really as an aside here, no one a- approaches this better than, in my opinion, than Magister Nemo in his essay that I had uh, recently read. So, um, you know, that, that gentleman really has an amazing way of, of seeing things in a different light and, and adding a, a very intriguing spin on it. So, uh, let, let's talk about um, the Satanist worldview in relation to the afterlife. And that's that <clears throat> there may in fact be uh, something that happens after we die. Um, it is something that no one can prove or disprove. Uh, in life, for obvious reasons, because you haven't died yet. Uh, and so, with that in mind, we're not really focusing, because we don't know what's going to happen, we're not going to focus our existence on that potential, on that possibility. As Satanists, we focus on the here and now, and we enjoy what we know exists, and that's the here and now. Why would we uh, stop ourselves from doing something that that provides some form of emotional or physical gratification uh, for a hope, for, for a, a, a glimpse of a dream. Well, we don't do that. We're pragmatic individuals. So the idea of restricting behaviors in the here and now for the potentiality of, of benefit in some other whatever after we die is a, really an irrational idea. So let's start there. On that, a lot of Satanists are are really atheists. I mean, this is an atheist-based religion, though I would go a step further and say atheist. And and, and I'm not saying that. That's actually the high priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore's line there. It's not atheist, it's atheist. Meaning you're focusing on you and your influence and... really experience in this world. And and what that means is that because we don't know, and this is sort of reinstating what I just said here in a way, because we don't know, we don't focus on it. We're not concerned that much for it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some Satanists who are interested, or that there's a lot of us that are interested in possibility, plausibility. I mean, if, if you are any part of a fan of science you know that there is some real compelling information drumming up the hypothesis that there are more than one dimension of existence. Um, Just uh, 
you know, the four forces and, and, and their influence on our world pushes that idea of, of different dimensions and, and those four forces having different strengths or intensities in those other dimensions. What I have a problem with when we're talking about these two articles specifically, but also the idea of NDEs, near-death experiences, and spiritual world, is that it's always looked in a lens on how is that meaningful to me. How, and maybe not even as meaningful, but it's all wrapped around the idea of you. It's my spirit that is on that other side. It is my ancestors that are calling me. It's always this really personalized expression. And if science tells us anything, that's that reality is only personal in our own experience of it. And that the cosmos itself gives less than two shits about you, about anything uh, on any individual level. And so, if we're talking about dimensionality, why would any other dimension be wrapped around your expression of it or, or your interaction with it? That's, that's, that's even a little too arrogant for a Satanist, <laughs> in my opinion. So, the, the idea of a near-death experience is that you, you're almost going to die, your spirit leaves your body, and this is maybe also just out-of-body experiences, you, and your spirit is, uh, in this, in this um, sort of ideology, uh, in the fourth dimension. You, we can't see it or experience it in our three-dimensional world, and so it has to be in a different dimension, the fourth dimension, um, and, and that it's moving about and experiencing things on a plane that we just cannot comprehend as human beings. And yet... We're the ones comprehending this expression, this experience. Now, what I do like about these articles is that it brings up the point that if you are not capable, uh, maybe because of physiology, biology, uh, culture, um, religion, of acknowledging the potential of other dimensions... Be, I, I think the idea that there's only four, personally, is absurd. I, I, I actually prefer the hypothesis in science that there are multiple dimensions, meaning potentially hundreds. But, you know, nothing is proven, it's just my opinion. Uh, so, so let's say that, that there are, in, like in this, four dimensions and uh, your spirit and the spirit world. Well, why would anything on that, 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 that plane really give a damn? about you or your spirit or anything about that. I mean, you're really attributing your fingerprint as causality or let, let's say your individual uh, experience as the proof of another dimension. And that's just not enough. I mean, there's not enough hard science to prove other dimensions, period, let alone the, you know, and a near-death experience. But more to the point is that uh, because we're Satanists, we're not going to rule that out. All right? We believe in evidence supporting fact, not opinion supporting fact. So, yes, I have to concede that there may be a fourth or a fifth or an up teen hundredth dimension out there. But because 
we uh, are incapable of, of crossing that divide because we are incapable of experiencing it. I, I'm not going to rule out the possibility, but I'm also not going to focus my life on it because there's a lot more important things in my life, like my own physical or emotional gratification, my children, my wife. Uh, there's a lot of things that I feel that are important more than focusing on the possibility of something when I die and the absurdity that's wrapped around the idea that, that there's this entity that would allow or not allow your experience in that possible of life. So, I mean, who knows? Because we're Satanists, we cannot rule it out. We cannot. Because if evidence could possibly come, well, then it has to be a possibility to prove it. And if that possibility exists even in the most remotest of our imaginations or or our potential of experiencing it, well, it's a possibility worth looking into uh, for those who are obsessed with it and, and, and feel inclined. Me, not so much. Uh, I do appreciate you sending these articles. It does not change or alter or make requirement of someone that you know, identifies himself as a Satanist and the idea that there is no spiritual world or spiritual life to somehow reevaluate themselves because they recognize science and exploration of ex- human experience um, or expression uh, to somehow change their current worldview. I mean, we're adults, and based on new factual evidence, we have to reevaluate perspectives. Um, but we also have to understand that chance is not something to live for. Possibility is not something to live for. What you can make happen through lesser or greater magic or your own sweat of your brow is what is important in this existence as we recognize it, as we experience it. And that's where you should be focusing yourself. That's my opinion. Let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Listen up, listen up, KL Valley. Good news, there's no devil. Bad news, else there's no heaven. There's nothing to see. I'm your Infernal Informant. This is ABC 13, uh, abclocal.go.com. It's HPD officer shoots, kills, amputee in a wheelchair and it was posted September 22nd. Houston, an amputee in a wheelchair was shot and killed by a Houston police officer Saturday at a group home for the mentally ill. And we've learned that this is not the first time the officer has fatally shot a suspect. The Houston Police Department said Brian Clouch, a one-armed, one-legged man in a wheelchair, threatened Officer M. Marin and waved an object that later turned out to be a ballpoint pen. The shooting happened just southeast of downtown Houston at the Healing Hands Group Home on Polk at Sydney. Officer Marin, in fear of the safety of his partner and the safety of himself, discharges his duty weapon striking the subject, HPD spokesman Jody Silva said. Silva told us police were called to healing hands around 2.30 a.m. The overnight caretaker said Clouch was acting aggressively and repeatedly asking for soda and cigarettes. Yeah, he should be shot for that. Marin and his partner entered the home at 
Clunch kept swinging an object at them. Okay, keep in mind, this is a one-armed, one-legged man with a ballpoint pen at a mental institution. <laughs> swinging at this ballpoint pen aggressively at the police. <laughs> the officers made verbal commands for the suspect to drop what he had in his hand to stay still and to speak with the officers, but the suspect continued to make threats, Silva said. Um, he's in a mental institution. Do you really think that he's going to just, like, be rational? <laughs> he's in a mental institution, police officers. You don't understand that? That fundamental idea? You're, you're called in the middle of the night to a mentally ill uh, hospice. A one-armed and one-legged man is ranting and raving. What did you expect him to be doing at a mental hospital? Like, just sitting there in a vegetable? Not all crazy people are vegetables. Okay, so I, this is just crazy. The officers made verbal commands to the suspect to drop whatever he was carrying. That's when Marin shot Clunch once in the head. He died at the scene. The object he was holding turned out to be a pen. So we're going to make the rational leap as police officers to try to calm a mentally ill man by saying, stop ranting and raving, be quiet so we can talk to you. When the mentally ill man doesn't do what you say, the best line from that moment is to shoot him once in the head. Really? When exactly did police officers become Judge Dredd? I mean, there, there, there was a time, I seem to recall, they were meant to protect and serve. Protect and serve. At no point in that line is there protect and serve and shoot a mentally ill man in a mentally ill hospital in the head who is holding a pen and shouting. If you are so incompetent that you are incapable of making the basic understanding that a mentally ill man may act irrationally and that shooting him in the head is not the first option, then you should not be wearing a badge and you should not be a police officer, you fucking moron. Just saying. But this goes to a larger, broader context of police officers because they've gone from protecting and serving to being this sort of dominating force that everyone is intimidated by, even if you're a law-abiding citizen. They're becoming more militaristic with their haircuts and their mannerisms. I was given a ticket for going one lane more over while making a turn. Instead of going into the first lane, I went into the second lane, and I got a $50 ticket for that. No, actually, I say 50 and it just rolled out, but I think it was actually $100, to be quite honest. But I got a ticket for going one lane over. And what am I going to do? Argue with the officer? Like, he is literally following a quota being a douchebag because that's what he's expected to do because we all accept that police officers are douchebags and they're going to act like douchebags. So uh, what can we do, right? Wrong. It is bullshit. And uh, this guy, well, something should be coming his way.
the owner of the group home, John Garcia, said Claunch enjoyed drawing on paper. At the table, he would write on a pad of paper, he said. He looked. He liked to doodle. He was always doodling on that table. He'd write there. Garcia said Clunch lived in a house for about 18 months and was schizophrenic and had bipolar disorder. He lost his arm and leg after being hit by a train years ago, he said. According to Garcia, Clunch was capable of making a person feel threatened during a time of outrage despite his physical state. He added that it's an everyday challenge taking care of those with severe mental illness. Well, why don't we just shoot them all in the head then? You just never know when they're going to go off, Garcia said. I, the same can be said about mentally stable people. You never know what's going to set them off. That's all you can say. You just don't know. They can be very calm, and then all of a sudden, within five minutes, it's a different dimension. He called clinical psychologist Dr. Ed Reitman for his reaction. Emotionally disturbed individuals, when threatened, are going to react in most instances aggressively or excessively, Reitman said. Reitman added that the mentally ill patient may not have understood the officer's request to put down the pen. This was an incident that didn't have to take place if the individual, a police officer, had been trained in dealing with emotionally disturbed individuals, Reitman said. HPD has officers who are specifically trained to deal with mentally ill. Earlier this week, Mayor Anise Parker spoke about the merits of the program. They actually do case management with these folks, Parker said. Instead of, at some point, this person has been in the system. I don't know what the trigger is, four times, five times over a certain period, and it's clearly a mental health issue. The next time they pop up in the system, we send the mental health unit out there. The department won't comment on whether Marin has been trained in the program. Obviously not. We learned that Marin shot and killed another suspect back in October 2009. Police say the suspect lunged at him with a knife. I would have shot him too. Marin had been with the force for five years. As a standard in all officer-involved shootings, Marin was immediately placed on three-day administrative leave. Oh, really? You know what? He's getting paid for that. This shooting, like all officer-involved shootings, were investigated by the Homicide Division, the Internal Affairs Division, and the Harris County District Attorney's Office. Now, after having said what I have said, let's keep in mind, at one-armed, one-leg... You can still kill a man um, if you have a pen. You can quite easily shove it in an eye, in a throat. You can break the skin, and you can puncture an artery, and you can make someone bleed out. You can maim them for life, or you can kill them with, yes, a pen. And a mentally ill individual would have no reservations about doing so if he felt, or she, the need at that given moment for whatever reason, mentally ill people think and feel things. So it's easy to stand back and rant and rave about the injustice of, of uh, ignorant police force or, or ignorant officers in dealing with mentally ill patients, but it's also another thing all entirely, I have to give credit here, when facing down the crazy-ass people in this world who are clinically crazy, and uh, making that decision. Now, I like to think that human beings, uh, well, it, it may be, it, it should be difficult to murder another human being, especially someone in uh, a mental institution with one arm and one leg. But, again, we have to keep in mind that we pay these people, no matter how assholish they act, 
to be that way and to deal with the shit that we don't want to deal with. So, yes, I have big gripes with the police force and and the way that they've evolved throughout our culture. But I also wouldn't want to be that guy at the other end of that crazy man's pen on the off chance he did lunge forward on his one good leg and jab it in my face. (laughs) you got to keep that in mind. Uh, These people are are paid to address issues that no one else wants to address. Um, And that's to, guess what? Police our community. And even people... And and do you think that, that the mental ill institution would have called the police if they didn't think that this man was beyond their capacity to handle? And so that says something right there. I mean, this is an institution based around the function of managing these people. And they couldn't do it. So maybe, maybe it was fair to shoot this man down. Maybe one bullet to the brain for the greater society, or maybe just this hospital, or maybe just that officer, was the best choice. Period. Uh, I guess we'll never know. Because no one will ever follow up on this article. Alright, and the second one, and this is the Jerusalem Post. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, Obama defends Romney attacks on U.S.-Israel relations, uh, posted the 24th. Alright, in 60 Minutes interview, U.S. President says he speaks to Netanyahu all the time. Adds he feels obligation, not pressure, to consult with the Israelis on Iran. Romney attacks Obama for decisions not to meeting, uh, not to meet visiting Prime Minister Netanyahu. U.S. President Barack Obama touched his, I'm sorry, touted his close relationship with Israel, while Republican challenger Mitt Romney attacks his decision not to meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in separate interviews with CBS's 60 Minutes released Sunday. I have conversations with Prime Minister Netanyahu all the time, said Obama. I understand and share Prime Minister Netanyahu's insistence that Iran should not obtain a nuclear weapon because it would threaten us, it would threaten Israel, and it would threaten the world and kick off a nuclear arms race. Asked by Obama interviewer Steve Croft if he feels any pressure by Netanyahu to draw a line in the sand on the Iranian nuclear issue, the U.S. president responded... When it comes to our national security decisions, any pressure that I feel is simply to do what's right for the American people, and I'm going to block out any noise that's out there. He added, Now I feel an obligation, not pressure, but obligation, to make sure that we're in close consultation with the Israelis on these issues, because it affects them deeply. Netanyahu has repeatedly called for the U.S. to set red lines on Tehran, giving voice to growing frustration with U.S. President Barack Obama and the international community's failure to stop Iran's nuclear march. Meanwhile, Romney took the opportunity to attack the president's foreign policy vis-a-vis Israel. The president's decision not to meet with Bibi Netanyahu, (laughs) Prime Minister of Israel, with the Prime Minister is here for the United Nations session, I think is a mistake, he said, and it sends a message to the Middle East that somehow we distance ourselves from our friends, and I think that exact opposite approach is what's necessary. Romney has repeatedly accused Obama of throwing Israel under the bus, which has raised ire among Democrats for what they consider to be an unfair characterization of the president's record. 
Both Obama and Romney used the vast majority of their interview to discuss domestic issues from the unemployment rate and the size of government to same-sex marriage in Guantanamo Bay. Obama has also defended his record on the so-called Arab Spring uprisings, which took place throughout the Middle East and North Africa. I think it's absolutely the right thing for us to do to align ourselves with democracy, universal rights, a nation that people have to be, have to be able to participate in their own governance, he said. He admitted, admitted that there are going to be bumps in the road, but expressed hope <laughs> that the long run of the region will be aided uh, by uh, the recent occurrences. Now that's the article, and I <clears throat> I wanted to address uh, one or two things here. So <sighs> this insistence that we go above and beyond to aid Israel really, really gets under my nerves. They are a nation that was created by the UN post World War II, uprooted the denizens of a region and placed their nation right down on a map where other people used to live, where their homes were. I sympathize with what that would cause the Palestinians to feel and react. And in that light, I think a lot of their actions are justified. The continued illegal expansions of Israeli settlements into um, uh, into Palestinian land that was allotted to them, air quotes there, after they were kicked out of their normal homes, and nothing is being done about it. Israel touts their strength as America has their back, and we have assholes like Romney saying that, yes, we should go that extra distance. Now, Obama's bending over backward for the vote to do the same thing for Florida residents and New York residents and wherever you're going to find an Israeli sympathizer. It's certainly in in Christian-dominated areas. But if we remove that idea of of Christianity and somehow this this connection with Jews and and, and their religion um, with, with some, I don't know, moral authority that America has. If, if we can remove that because it's all bullshit and just look at it on its face, we really need to let Israel and its neighbors deal with their own problem. And what that's probably going to mean, and it's the sole reason why Israel has so many damned enemies, Israel will suffer. Now, right or wrong, that's what the world has decided should happen. The world, the collective human population on this planet, (laughs) the majority of people don't think that their actions are justified. So maybe there's reason for that. Maybe we should just look at that and say, Israel maybe isn't such a good person after all. You know, if nations are people. (laughs) Now, certainly that doesn't mean that everyone in Israel backs what the government is doing. But there's not a lot of dissonance, right? I mean, we're still kowtowing to it. Americans are in step, goose-stepping their way to the Israeli defense. And I I said that on purpose, for, for cause. Look, I don't hate Jews. I don't hate Israelis. I think that their situation, they are uh, abusing and they're really acting like assholes and have for quite some time. 
and it's because we let them. People will get away with what they're allowed to get away with, and it sort of spirals in that way. If you tell a friend he is acting like an asshole and that you will not be friends with him if he is acting like the asshole, then he will stop acting like the asshole if he wants to be your friend. It's really that simple. But we don't tell him that. We tell him that, oh, we, we, we sympathize with everything you're doing. Continue being the asshole. Meanwhile, they're being the bully on the block and we are backing their play. And that does not do us any good. Now, I do not think that uh, Iran with uh, nuclear weapons is necessarily an ideal situation, but I also don't think that Iran with nuclear power is a problem. Um, I think that's a natural evolution of any uh, real country in, in, in population, is to technologically advance and benefit themselves through that advance. Um when you turn into weapons, well, you know what, on one hand, America has tons of nukes. What kind of grounds can we stand on telling other people they can't? Especially when they're threatening to beat up the asshole that we're backing as play. I mean, wait, politically, that that's a bad thing. But, you know what, even the bully needs to be punched in the face once or twice. And let's be honest, we're the only ones who've ever dropped a bomb in another country. So, <laughs> are we really in the place to be uh, telling people what they can and can't do? <laughs> All right, so I just wanted to throw that out there. It's, it's absurd that we, like Romney wants to do, should back Israel no matter what. There should never be a carb line. It should always be, as Obama says, in this case, what is in America's best interest, not what is in Israel's best interest. Because we're Americans in this case. All right, that's going to do it for Inferno Informant. Let's jump over to the Snail Factory in the Creature Feature. And I did adjust the volume. <laughs> Thank you for your comments. Oh, God. No. Just me. <laughs> did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined yet again. (laughs) You gotta love it. Ari Bach is back in the Nine Cents house, friend of the show. And I have him on this time because we want to talk about the first season of Snail Factory. Now, we've actually briefly touched on the Snail Factory twice in our two other interviews, but we've never really tore it apart and and uh, really dissected it like, uh, you know, would be appropriate in the Snail Factory. So we're going to do that today. Ari, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this. And I have to say up front, I'm not a big comic book guy. I'm not a big comic guy. I tried uh, as a young man to really get into like um, Wolverine comics, and it just never stuck. Um, I have friends who write comics and started their own comic um, uh, businesses, uh, comic lines. I mean, I'm not really sure what you'd call it, but I've never actually been that big into them. And I've been paying attention to yours for some time now uh, because of LTTD, and I've, I've seen them on there, and like reading them one at a time. Funny, uh, 
like you actually think about what you're putting in there. It's not just supposed to be like a superhero beats someone up. You know, there's actually like comedy and uh, dialogue, and there's meaning behind the dialogue usually. So it's it's something that catches my interest quickly. Um, but before we really, I guess, get into that, let's sort of rewind a little bit. Why did you decide to uh, create comics, or, or what got you into comics? Um, mostly just that it was one of the mediums I hadn't worked in before. I've done film, drawing, writing, and comics are very much in the center of that same group of things to do. Uh, I had never really tried doing one, and I had this idea of the Snail Factory, which I wrote long, long ago as a film, which didn't really resemble the comic at all. But I felt like, you know, I'll try doing the comic, so I put down a few of the ideas for what would have been the film, and about I did maybe seven episodes of that, and just stopped for a while, saw what anyone thought of it. Then I spoke to a false prophet from Twisted Genius who liked the comic and wanted to put it up, so I got a ongoing webcomic and kind of cemented myself into having to do that uh, <laughs> since once you started. We, we were going to put it out once a week, and we figured we should get some more out there, you know, just have content. And when we decided that, I was maybe like 20 episodes ahead. So we figured, okay, we'll start doing two a week. And then I found myself trapped for a year doing two, two a week, trying to maintain my head start, which wasn't a bad thing at all. Uh, my biggest problem that I always have that the tarot deck finished that the tarot deck uh, helped with and then the Snail Factory helped again is I never know what to draw. And Snail Factory provides so many different plots and characters and events, most of which are pretty naturally funny on their own. And so it's it always gives me something to do, which is my happiest state. <laughs> Well, you you have to be absolutely busy with this. But I, I do want to talk about um, sort of uh, dissecting the, 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 the structure of it a little bit. Um, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, you covered a lot of ground there. So just to reiterate, um, when did you start doing The Snail Factory? Um, I think I drew the first episode uh, maybe a year and two months ago. I think mid... Uh Early summer 2011, I think. Wow. So you said the Snail Factory started as a movie, mm-hmm. as an idea of a movie, and the comic doesn't resemble that at all. What made you turn it from what could have been um, a film into uh, a comic? I mean, were you just looking for a paradigm to work around? Well, what started out as a film I wrote down in my junior year of high school, it was basically the origin story for the factory it was it starred human characters and had sort of a plot that was somewhere in between like citizen kane and holy mountain it was very strange and surreal and funny but my interest changed over the years and frankly the original wasn't all that good Mm -hmm. um a few elements of it have 
wound up in there. Some of the origin story even appears as a comedic comic within a comic for the new season of Snail Factory. <laughs> but it all began with the first episode where I just drew a couple of the creatures that I'd been working with recently. One of the concepts that was kind of like a surreal version of Dilbert and uh, just tried making a couple episodes of workplace comedy from scraps that were laying around in my mind and it took on a completely new life of its own any attempt to reinsert the original material was kind of fruitless there was just no point when I had all sorts of brand new brain monsters to play with. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's it's well, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, and and what you said there about um, workplace comedy and and hints of Dilbert. <clears throat> when I was because uh, just because I appreciate this comic, I went back to uh, I went back to just twistedgenius dot com and I, I was looking at from episode one on and started reading it, and it really did feel like it was a sitcom and i i almost lost myself with the really fantastical nature of these creatures and just started like like really buying into them as as individuals it, it was weird because i started i started just sort of uh you know with your really creative colorful imagery uh and, and really great writing imagining it on tv like it was uh I don't know, a Simpsons or, or a, a King of the Hill or something. And I was just seeing this play out in my head. They're, they're very episodic. I mean, by nature, it's a one sheet of, of one, you know, one comic. There's, it, it's always based around a joke, at least what I've, I've read so far. But there's this really great story, and you can tell that there's character development and there's care uh, gone into the, the, just the, the ideas that these characters, vastly different, are putting out there. So when you started doing this, did you have an idea of, of, you know, this is my cast, or has that just evolved fluidly? It's completely evolved. Uh, from the first episode, I had some stock sulfur demons that were the only characters. Um, in the second one, I dredged up a couple really old drawings of a finger monster and a brain beast. Uh, I don't think I had even named them at the time, but as I moved on and did various plots, I quickly found out that uh, Elliot, who is a kind of tinker toy creature with a razor blade for a head, he ended up being the voice of reason. Dr. Brain, who is a giant brain, ended up being the stupidest character in the entire series. Um some of the characters who I thought would be main characters ended up being one-time uh, people, and some of the characters who I just introduced as one-time people to, you know, fill in a hole in the plot have ended up being pretty much the main characters in the series. Um, the same has happened with settings and various ongoing plots. Some examples would be there was a genie episode early on. Yes. <laughs> That one was just so much fun. I kept planting more genies. And in season two, the bit that I'm drawing as we do this interview is actually where the genie infestation has taken over the snail factory and covered in a tent and spray-like for termites. 
I love that because, like, well, I don't want to give any plots away, but um, you, you take the genie idea and sort of turn it on its head and then quickly put it right back into place in follow-up <laughs> episodes, and you're just sort of playing with it. it. It's a lot of fun. And that's what I'm talking about. With each of these, uh, there's this there's this joke or this bit behind each one of these um, comics as you put them out. And, uh, I mean, it seems like... I mean, do you have, like, a file on your computer with a backlog of all these characters and, and you know, opinions and, and experiences that have gone through, or do you just... Do you just reference your own comics for that? Um, I have to reference my own comics. I I have, obviously, all of the stuff backed up, and I have a few pages of notes about maybe this would be funny or don't forget you can't do this with this character because you're going to do something else. But that's all pretty minimal. Usually I come up with the idea, sketch it out, and draw it all within a couple days. I have, I know what my next episode will be. I have no clue what comes after that, but I do know several characters and plot lines that I'd like to keep developing. So, do you have any writing assistance? I mean, where do you get your inspiration for each episode when you have so many uh, to your credit already? Uh, most of the ideas are just things that I think would be amusing. I have a couple friends here and online who will suggest ideas from time to time. And, um, but I would say most of it is just free form. I think this would make a good episode sorts of ideas. Huh. And more rarely, I, when I started it out, I decided to go for workplace comedy because I had just gotten out of one of the most idiotic workplaces I had ever seen. I won't mention the company, but they were horrible to a degree where the management was... If I told you some of the stories about the management there, you would think that's too stupid to be a Snail Factory episode because the idiot <laughs> thoughts would never be that stupid. Um, <laughs> so that's why I went with Workplace in the beginning and also just because it, you know, it's about a factory, so that fits. Yeah. But I never got to use a single story from work because they were all too stupid for the uh, <laughs> factory. So That is awesome that real life is too dumb for a comic. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I can relate the latest story. The uh, boss that I had that my friend still had, he, his wife was pregnant. So they came in two months before she was due. Uh, and the boss said, my wife will be working in back today because her water just broke. He, my friend or the person who was working there at the time said, um, you need to get her to the hospital. And the boss said, oh, don't worry. I'm sure it'll fill back up. <laughs> so he thought that his wife functioned like a toilet, I guess. Uh, that's not even to mention that his wife is literally a Russian mail-order bride that his mom bought him for a birthday. No way! <laughs> I don't know how to work this stuff into Snail Factory. It's hilarious and disturbing, but it's nowhere... It's on a completely different level from frog monsters and brain beings. back up. Oh my gosh. That is a big bag of dumb right there. And that's... <laughs> Only one of thousands of stories I can wow. tell about this vile, vile monster <laughs> of a person. 
Okay, we did mention, and this is something, um, uh, I, I might just be an idiot. Well, I mean, certainly at, at times here. But when, when I see a comic, I don't necessarily relate the, the title of the comic with the literal sort of linear background of the comic. Um, and in the Snell's Factory's case, Snell Factory's case, I, I didn't I didn't even think that it was an actual snail factory when I first started looking into it. Um, when when I read the backstory, I was pleasantly surprised that it was you know right obvious right in your face. But there's this ongoing sort of rivalry, or I wouldn't even say rivalry, just the idea that this is a business and that there is competition out there and that they have to have corporate espionage for the snail factory to remain number one. I mean, it, it's stuff like that that just pulls me into this comic. It's hilarious. So um, maybe we could talk, because I do love that rivalry with the Hellman House right now. Well, is that fully explored in, in uh, season one? Um, there's certainly more to come. Uh, season one has the beginnings of their espionage and rivalry. <laughs> And most of the core of the idea is that Hellmanth House doesn't really want to spy on them, but Snail Factory is utterly, or people at it are utterly obsessed with what's going on and paranoid. So, in trying to make sure that Hellmanth House doesn't get the upper hand on them, they will no doubt mess up so badly that Hellmanth House will start to take an interest and get back at them. With what you were saying earlier about it actually being literally a snail factory, I'm definitely a huge surrealist devotee. That's my genre of choice. And when in the, this was a movie project, originally when I was writing the script in high school, everyone saw the title and was just like, oh, is it about like the downward spiral of humankind? Or, oh, it's about a factory that makes snails. They're like, well, it should be about the downward spiral of humankind because the title – and I was just like, no, it's a factory where they make snails. And I say, well, why would they make snails? I would say, well, where do you think snails come from? Uh, <laughs> and that conversation actually ends up in one of the episodes where a secretary gets very offended at where people think snails might come from. <laughs> I saw that one. That was awesome. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> I, I do love this absurd rivalry um, one-sided rivalry as I as I've experienced it so far in this comic, but there's other recurring uh, ideas that I I find immensely fascinating, like when they they wanted to improve morale and so they pulled in a speaker <laughs> immediately. I'm, okay, spoiler alert: you should have already read the first thirty episodes of the Chanel Factory, so I'm going to say it anyway. But so so they bring in this speaker and <laughs> in the process of explaining why he's there, falls into this mad deep depression and jumps out of a window to his utter demise. And this is the spark uh, for many future speakers and calamity to follow. And it is just hilarious. I mean, little things like that is now okay. So I'm going to touch on this downward spiral of of humanity. <laughs> With this there particular is scenario, <laughs> is this speaking to something greater that you think about 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 self help or about therapy or about uh, public speaking or or is this just a funny gag and it works brilliantly? Um, just a gag for the uh, numerous varieties. Most of them are like fruit based characters. There's yeah. <laughs> Larry the Lem or Lemmy the Lemon, uh, Pierre the 
Pierre Frere, the fear pair, <laughs> Anna Fofana, the sadness banana. Um, yeah, it's all just a joke. I'm not hugely fond of motivational speakers. I think they're pretty much utterly useless for most of the companies that get them. So I'm just uh, playing a humorously dark game with all of those guys. But it's certainly something that may happen throughout Snail Factory as a series. There's, they're kind of like the dark arts position at Hogwarts. Nobody lasts more than one episode <laughs> because the position has been cursed at Hogwarts or here. It's just everybody is so ridiculously hopeless. <laughs> We're about to take Prozac. <laughs> um, <laughs> so do you do you ever worry because and and I guess we may have already touched on this but because this is episodic but there are ongoing storylines and connections between characters are you ever worried that it's going to be difficult or, or, or maybe daunting for someone to just jump right in like say uh, when is season 2 uh, expected to be released uh, season 2 begins on October 1st on Monday okay so on Monday when everyone goes to Twisted Genius with a J, genius uh, dot com to check out the first episode of season two, are you afraid that that some of the the new readers are going to find it a little daunting, or are I mean, with the just the complexity that evolves over a, a you know any organic creation being around for so long? In terms of plot, each episode should constitute enough of its own plot and joke that anybody could jump in at any time and at least appreciate that episode for what it is. Mm -hmm. But it should have a great deal of added value to anybody who wants to go back to episode one and read the series straight through. Uh, then they'll be able to find heaps and heaps of in-jokes, references. And I think by mid-season two, where I'm approaching, we'll start getting some complex plots that will require you to have seen what's going on before. But even then, everything should still have its own punchline. So you can enjoy it on whatever level you want to devote to it, basically. Well, let's talk about a technical side of this uh, quickly here. Because you do all of this by hand. I mean, it, it's, I think it's a dying art, in, certainly in comics. I mean, everything seems to be penned and then scanned and then colored, and, and it's all digital. But this is all all by hand initially, and then scanned and presented online. Have you ever thought about uh, moving into a more traditional way, like other comics have gone, or, I mean, w why do you stay traditional? Um, mostly because it's what I'm best at. Uh, I'm best at drawing and shading with a pencil and pen and eraser. Um, there's a decent amount of digital work. The colorization is all digital, but you would be able to look at the pages of the comics themselves I had to letter the very first episodes on computer as well but as I got better on at lettering I think around episode 25 it switches mm -hmm. um, I would love to have it in print I would love to have especially Heavy Metal Magazine or something publish some of them once the webcomic is big enough we'll probably either publish a book of it ourselves or see who we can get to do that. Someone like Slave Labor Graphics, I think, would probably be a good fit. Um, I'm also hoping that this will eventually be an animated series, uh, something either just online or I think it would fit in really well in Adult Swim. All of their yeah. shows are 
very similarly dark humored and bizarre. Well, I gotta say, I mean, just for the 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 creativity and the writing and and your own style of of art, I could even see it on network TV. Like, like I mean, just look at Bob's Burgers. I mean, that's um, that's a, a pretty funny show on its own, but it's not. You know, it's not particularly special. I mean, yours is, you have some original, you know, style of art and uh, certainly original way of looking at the world through the comics. So um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, the more we can get the word out about this, the better. Well, I do want to touch on something, though. You had mentioned um, we may put out a book. So is is this not just you uh, running this ship? Um, I'm certainly the author and artist for the comic itself, we would refer to Twisted Genius, uh, which is a pretty large company growing up around uh, much more than just the Snail Factory. They have a major gang game coming out soon, um, at least in beta, I think. They're kind of the villains of the internet. <laughs> so, I mean, how, how did you come to this, uh, the solely showing it on Twisted Genius because it was shown for some time on LTTD um, I imagine, was it ever on DeviantArt? Yes, the first few episodes appeared on DeviantArt, most of the first season showed up on LTTD but Twisted Genius is by far the best platform for it, they're the ones who run it as an ongoing webcomic with archives rather than just uh you know, posting each episode as it comes out for whoever sees it. Also, they have quite a few Easter eggs on the site. For instance, uh, on any episode, there's a black bar underneath the comic. If you scroll down to that and hover your mouse over it, you'll get to see tons of added content. Sometimes it's an extra panel. Sometimes it's trivia about the production of the episode, which is usually fictional. We kind of treat it as if it was a old 60s TV series with production problems, actors. Uh, so it has details on that. Most recently, it's just had tons and tons and tons of back information and stories about the characters and events that you can see in the episodes. And that tradition will be... That's just growing. The little blurbs of gone from a couple sentences in the hopes that Google will index the pages mm-hmm. to half of the comic. Wow. Um, well, can I ask, I mean, we are more and more um, segmenting off the Internet uh, between the use of apps and platforms like Amazon and Facebook and Google. They are very much... Um, sort of sticking to their corners and trying to keep people, all of the internet viewers, in their corners. Do you ever worry that by not associating uh, your your product, the Snail Factory, in any of those areas that you might be hurting yourself? I'm trying to get it out into any area I can. Um, and Twisted Genius is also doing all sorts of interesting promotions, uh, everything from Twitter updates. I'm also promoting it on a comedy blog. Um, nice. The those blurbs I mentioned, I actually got so many jokes for those that I couldn't fit into the actual Snail Factory blurbs that I started a blog called Facts I Just Made Up, 
and that blog actually took off. It went viral very quickly. Um, so that's on Tumblr if anyone wants to check it out. It's just called Facts I Just Made Up, and it's full of all sorts. It's a spoof of fact blogs, but all of the facts are dreadfully wrong. <laughs> you should, add, if you haven't already, add in uh, something about the, the water filling up if you if you leave her, leave the, the um, pregnant woman sitting for long enough. The uh, a, a few boss related stories have ended up on that blog as. Um, <laughs> can't even remember the ones I've done, but he's definitely made that one. Nice. I I would like to think, and I don't know if if this is, you know, one size fits all, but I would like to think that every comedian has a favorite joke that they tell. Um, Every every musician has a favorite song. Uh, Do you have a favorite comic or scenario that you've used in the Snail Factory? Um... I don't know. I try to expand it and not do any joke more than once. Uh, mm. There are definitely some running gags. Uh, there's a character named Defenji who's kind of a disaster magnet. Um, he, When I first drew him, he came out as kind of the most adorable character, so that instantly condemned him to getting <laughs> uh, eyes torn out and... Constantly. And horrible... <laughs> things always happening to him uh dr brain undermining his own company by being a terrible ceo is going to happen a lot um i'm not sure if there's any one go-to gag though that really stands out to me as one that i think defines the comic yeah one might develop in time but uh well the characters have developed so far i don't think any signature joke has come across yet yeah well i I mean when we first started this conversation you had said that um it was released on a weekly basis and then you tried to up that a little bit to um twice a week what are we going to look for in the coming season as far as release uh it'll be once a week the twice a week thing was something i was able to do right up until the point where my computer started dying. Um, (laughs) Most of the season break actually came because I had to update my scanner and computer to get the things online. The old scanner, I think uh, I would spend a couple hours one day coming up with writing and sketching the episode, a couple hours the next day inking it and shading it, then I would spend two days wrangling my scanner, trying to get it to scan without skewing the image, missing chunks of the image. Wow. The scanner wouldn't connect to the computer, so I'd shut it off, turn it on, and that was just an ongoing thing that had to stop. So, <laughs> But uh, now it's going to update regularly every Monday, I believe, at 8 a.m. Wow. And that will go on. Well, the first uh, season was 85 episodes. If this one is 85, it'll be lasting about a year and a half. So we will oh be going. It'll be weekly for the foreseeable future. So you had mentioned that um, you would like to see this develop into a book and then maybe even animated either online or, or TV. How long, how long do you see this going? I mean, you say the foreseeable future. I mean, is that let's say you're at season 9, do you think you would keep going from there? Um, if there's a reason to, absolutely. Uh, I have a very, very basic idea 
of what will happen in the distant future. Um, the episodes of season one take place in October and November of 1941, so obviously in the next month something will be happening uh, plot-wise. Um, the Snail Factory might get invited to make shells for the war effort, and I think that would probably go horribly <laughs> wrong. Uh, well, they but, did make all those different types of snails. <laughs> Maybe they could yeah. make a, a snail bomb or something. Yeah, there's a very... One of my favorite episodes in the first season is where they're showing off all of their new prototypes. Yeah. Um, but I'll keep doing Snail Factory until there's a reason not to either another project if you know if Valhalla starts selling like crazy I'll have to focus more on writing Valhalla 2 mm-hmm. if uh, you know if any of my projects go somewhere in film then I'll have to take some time off to do those but if Snail Factory is the one of my projects that I get famous for that's the one I'll keep doing and like I think Eisner did Spirit uh before and after World War II, and it lasted until the 70s. Um, So if Snail Factory becomes profitable enough for me to live off of, and that's the one I go with, then I would be absolutely happy drawing Snail Factory for the next 50 years. Nice. Well, uh, I'm I'm hoping you do. I I really enjoy what I've read so far, and, and I appreciate you taking time out of your day. If anyone wants to uh, read Snail Factory, uh, type in twistedgenius.com and check out uh, the comic section. Snail Factory is right there. It is a lot of fun. Um, they are, I mean, it's, 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 it's a quick read, but there are layers of understanding to it, and certainly comic uh, comedy abounds. So. Uh, it, it's certainly worth your time, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to see this spread as, in as many places as possible. So, just to reiterate, you have your Surrealist Tarot deck, which everyone should go check out for sure, and you have your novel Valhalla, which I've read and I loved. Uh, it was a huge, epic sci-fi, uh, a lot of fun, and, and a fair bit of humor in that too, though it's more adventure. And then, uh, yeah, Snail Factory. Check it out. Ari Bach, you're doing some amazing work. Keep it up, man. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Hail Satan. All right, and that that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Did you know you can purchase official 9 Cents Podcast clothing and accessories through Asp Apparel? Yeah. You can. You can visit the 9centspodcast.com website, click on the link titled Apparel, or visit aspapparel.com and browse their fine selection of original and officially licensed designs. Support the show! Make a personal statement about without saying a word, and you know, get a gift for this uh, coming uh, Saturnalia, or any other holiday you celebrate. 9 Cents Clothing by Asp Apparel. A match made in hell. I'm not going to say that again. <laughs> That's retarded. All right, you can visit the SatanNet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for $0.09 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at $0.09 cents podcast. <laughs> Pot-tap-pat. 
podcast.com and we're also on last fm and youtube you can subscribe to nine cents via itunes by searching nine cents and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment if you'd like to learn more about the church of satan visit churchofsatan.com and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices music or personalities visit radiofreesatan.com and online streaming radio station once again thank you for joining me and as always i'm your host adam campbell and until next week hail satan